0: We are talking about manhood this morning in our sermon in Genesis, all right? So if you have your Bible, I want you to make your way over to Genesis chapter 2. We're continuing our series of sermons through this that we're calling Created, and the idea is just to see what God says we're created for, what our purpose is. Because when you know your purpose is what we've been saying, it's like having a clear set of lenses to see the world through. It's like having a map where you're confident of uh, with a destination where you know where you're going. Decisions big and small become clearer because you evaluate them in light of whether or not they're going to help you achieve your purpose. And we said in this series, we're going to differentiate between purpose, what we're created for and passions, which are things that we get excited about. And this is massively important. When we come to Genesis chapter 2 and we start talking about what men are created for and what women are created for. It's big for men because a lot of times men get really passionate about things for a little while, yet they have no idea what they're supposed to do in life. No idea what their purpose is. And listen, a man without a purpose over time is going to become a man without a spine. He's going to lack conviction and courage because he doesn't know what he's created for. He lacks compassion for others because his heart is, it's dull, it's misguided over time. Too many men, too many men are driving through life kind of like uh, they were in a deep, unfamiliar, deep inside of an unfamiliar city and their GPS got turned off and died on them, right? So they don't know where they are and they don't know where to go or how to get to where they were supposed to go. And they're too proud to ask for directions right? Which leads them to ultimately drive around aimlessly. And sometimes some men do that with a car full of other people with them. Listen, my hope for you guys today, for you men, is to give you a map of manhood, to help you see the path that you were created to walk on and the destination that it'll lead you towards. Y'all, our vision for manhood and our culture today, and I promise you there is one that's out there that's being propagated day in, day out. Our vision needs a lot of help. But look, I believe scripture tells us, I believe God has created you in his image and he has created you to reflect his glory to the world around you. But the glory of God that's supposed to be revealed in men has... It's been misplaced. It's been forgotten. It's been buried beneath a bunch of broken relationships, a bunch of overworked lives, an unwillingness to face up to reality. So for the next two weeks, we're going to look in Genesis chapter two, the account of God creating man and woman. This week, we're going to talk about what men are created for. Really, if you think about it, the first three weeks of the series is all about who God is. And the last three weeks of the series are all about who we are in light of who God is. This week, we're talking about what men are created for simply because they come up first in Genesis 2 as we walk through it, okay? Next week, we're going to give ourselves to what women are created for, how they relate to God, and then in light of how they relate to God, how they respond to those around them. Men, I want you to hear me out right now at the start of this. You were created for a glorious, inspiring purpose. And when you grab hold of that purpose, you'll flourish Today is not a beatdown, all right? That's massive, because as soon as I start talking about manhood, there's something within us that wants to put up a wall, wants to turn on our defenses, and start to get skeptical about what's gonna be said from God's word, even if you're a Christian, what's gonna be said about that. That is a condition of our fallen nature, that sin at work. I wanna tell you today is not a beatdown about how you are failing. Today is a call up to some incredible Incredible picture of what God has created you for. And and women, listen, I want you to hear this because in this case, this is who all of your male friends are called to be. It's who to look for in a spouse. It's who to help your husband become. It's the man to raise your boys to become. It's the man to raise your girls to look for. And listen, I I wanna say this as well. There's no way I can do all of this um, in one sermon the way I would like to do it. So let this be just my moment to plug. Guys, you should probably come on our men's retreat, November 16th through 18th, where we got a whole weekend to begin to start to hammer some of this stuff out, okay? Um, That is just probably a good application step for you right out of the gate. So um, here we go. First one ever, don't miss it. All right, here we go. What men are created for, this is what Genesis 2 is our outline. What we're created for, why we're not that way, right? If we're created for this cool, awesome picture that God gives us, what, what, what went wrong? And then, where do we go from here? All right, how do we get back on track? So, you guys ready? Fellas? All right. Oh, yeah, okay. All right, here we go, verse 7. We'll start in verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. There's a word play that Adam's using here, or excuse me, that Moses, our author, is using here. The word man, Adam in, that's the word for man. And then right after that, he gives the word for dust. It's Adamah. The man is literally named the dust of the earth. We probably should have, the translation is not Adam, but dusty, right? That would be a good English version of the word. And then he can, but, but we don't. Um, Then what does he do? He breathes the breath of life. It's a very important that if you track the breath of life throughout scripture is a very significant, specific thing he's doing. He doesn't do that with anything else in creation, which gives man a unique standing among creation. He is in the image of God, animated by the breath of God. He's God's representative on earth. Listen to me, guys, before you are given an assignment, you are given an identity, okay? Okay. And this is actually going to, what you're going to see next weekend, women, you're going to see the same thing, right? Before you are given an assignment, a task to do, you are given value. You are given an identity by God. You are God's representative to the rest of creation. This is what I talk about. This is for men and women. This is Genesis 1 that we looked at a couple weeks ago, 27, 28, right? God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Before he gives you an assignment, he gives you a value. And as that identity develops in scripture, God starts to call these image bearers his own children, his sons and daughters. goes back to what we said earlier in the series that before creation, God was a father loving his son Jesus for eternity. Y'all, God's love for you, it isn't just like the affection of a creator for something he created. All right, so... I was trying to think about this. Like, I'm not good at creating things with my hands, so I never have much affection for that, for the finished product, right? Like, it took me a year to build a bookshelf, barely holds books, you know what I mean? So I'm not like, wow, look at that, you know. But uh, I do love to write, and so I had the chance to write a couple of books. I put a lot of work and effort into those, and so I get done, I'm like, yeah, man, that's good work. I'm really excited about that. I'm a little proud of those things, Love love to be able to say that I did that. But that is nothing, my affection for that, created, that thing I've created is nothing compared to the love I have for my four kids. Nothing in comparison. And I, I spent a lot less effort making those kids, right? I mean, Courtney had a lot of work. This was like pretty easy. And yet God has given me such great love for them. And God created me that way to remind me that his love for me is not first about him creating me. It's that he's my father, He's my, you know, psychologists say the three things that a son most needs to hear from his dad in order to grow up with a healthy self-image. I love you, I'm proud of you, and you are good at this thing, a specific thing, good at leading people, at caring for others, whatever it is, I love you, I'm proud of you, and you're good at it, that's it, simple things. It's a father telling a son he values and approves of him. Y'all listen, there's a reason that we're created that way or that we respond that way, it's because we're created that way. That's what God, the true father, that your earthly father just represents, he gives you that value, that approval in Christ. We find that, man, that's where we're going to wind up, that's where we're landing the plane today, is that we find that approval, that affirmation that we've been longing for in Christ. And when it comes to our inherent value being created in his image, being called sons, we don't get to choose that value. Being created in his image, the value that comes with that, that's just been given to you. You'll get to choose what to do with it. But brothers, you are made in the image of a wonderful God. And the purpose of your design was to show God to the world. Listen, I'm gonna give you five aspects of manhood from Genesis 2 today. That's the first one. Man was created to glorify God. Glorify God. Here's what, if, you, if that word's a little churchy, a little foreign to you, that means to give weight to something, to give significance, to give your attention and your voice to talking about that thing. Man was never created to glorify man. Man was created to give glory to God. So the question I have for you is, if your life is all someone has to go by right now to understand God, what would they conclude about God right now? You are God's representative to the world. What's your life saying about him right now? All right, we're gonna keep going. I'm gonna get more specific to your purpose, but that's your identity. You're created in the image of God. He loves you, looks down on you as son. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man, placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. All right, first indication of an assignment. God puts man in a garden and says that, This garden was good, right? Everything God created was good, yet there's still work that needs to be done. It was good, but it wasn't perfect yet. Think about it like this, all right? I got permission to use uh, this illustration. When you see my wife here at church, she is all dressed up. She is looking good. Her hair is good. She is exquisite. She is perfect. Now, when I see her, when she first wakes up in the morning, she's good right? She's good. And all the raw materials of beauty are there. Just some cultivating that needs to be done, right? Most dangerous illustration I've ever done um, in preaching. Look, God places all the raw materials there in the garden, and then all those raw materials that are good, he puts man on assignment, and here's the assignment. It's the one we still have today, y'all. He gives man responsibilities. Men are created. And again, you'll see the same thing's true with, with women. You'll see it next week. But man was created with responsibilities. Man was created to work. And his work was to cultivate God's creation, to develop the raw materials for the glory of God and then to the benefit of others. It's kind of like the difference, I think I've told you this before, um, between the way to think about a security guard and a stockbroker. Right? If I give a security guard $1,000 and say, hey, I'll be back in 10 years, how much money do I expect the security guard to have for me when I get back in 10 years? $1,000, right? But if I give that same amount of money to a stockbroker and then I come back in 10 years, I expect him to give me the $1,000 plus more because I will expect him to take those resources and cultivate them and turn it into more. That's his responsibility. The farmer takes raw materials, cultivates them into produce. The architect takes raw materials, cultivates them into buildings we live and work in. The artist takes raw materials, cultivates them into beautiful pictures and beautiful pieces of music. The lawyer takes raw principles of fairness and justice and cultivates them into laws that benefit society. That's God's plan. We take his raw materials and we cultivate them in a way that glorifies God, gives weight and attention to God, and then benefits is a blessing to the others around us. Again, this is both men and women because we're gonna see um, next week, that, or actually we'll see it a little bit this week and then again, even more. Next week, God gave man a woman to help him work. So she's working too, seeking to glorify God and benefit those around him. Men, listen, you were created to work and your work was to glorify God and benefit others. This means God is present in the world through your job, your vocation. Look, I know it's easy to think because it's so mundane. It's so like you just kind of go through the same thing day in, day out, whatever, if that's you. Your job, you might think that is ordinary. It actually carries a great amount of spiritual significance. And maybe some of you need to rethink your job as a gift given to you to develop creation in a way that glorifies god and benefits other humans you need to therefore that means you'll have the posture of serving others through that role and your main priority will not just be making a profit listen the american dream which i would say is uniquely toxic here in charlotte is actually the american distraction it says you make good grades so you can get in a good college, so you can get in a good job, so that one day you'll make good money, so that you'll build wealth, and you'll prosper until you retire on the lake or on a golf course. The American distraction. If you make the accumulation of wealth your purpose in life, it's not bad to accumulate wealth. It's bad to worship it. You'll be, if you make that your aim, you'll be a miserable, cranky old person because this whole time, you are making your life about you, but you weren't created for that. You weren't created to give glory to you. You were created to give glory to something else. And so when you give glory to you, it never satisfies you. You were created with the responsibility to work for the glory of God. And there's joy in that. When you give your life to that purpose, you then glory of God, benefit of others, then you'll actually find happiness and contentment. Regardless of whether you have blue collar job, white collar job, whether you have one career, seven careers, when you see your work connected to God's creation mandate, that's when you start to have satisfaction and enjoyment out of it. Got to keep going. Verse 16, the Lord commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will surely die. God gives man a great blessing and then a a restriction. The blessing. Yeah, I want you to focus on that because we always focus on the one tree he's not supposed to eat from. First look at it though. It's this great blessing to eat from all the trees of the garden. This is massively important because too often people think that God is only out to restrict man from enjoying himself. When in fact, God's the one that created you with the ability to enjoy things. Like you enjoying something, whatever it is, God created you with the ability to be able to enjoy it. Listen, God created with his word and his word created an abundance of blessing for you to enjoy. And look, this is a truth that often gets obscured, forgotten. You will always find better and more lasting enjoyment inside of God's design than outside of it. Then God tells man, Not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if he did, he'd die. He puts a limit. This is messed with me. Several times reading the truth, why, God? Why put the tree there? It's so that man, for his own good, would remain in willful submission to God. That man would not go away from God for knowledge of good and evil, but would trust God for wisdom. The temptation Adam faced, the temptation we all face, was to seek out right and wrong apart from God's words. Here's what I want you to see, the second aspect of manhood. Man was created to follow God's plan. In fact, listen to me. Before Adam was ever told to be a leader, he was told to be a follower. You catch, you catch the order here? Guys, listen to me. You will never be a spiritual leader of someone else until you are a spiritual follower of your God. How in the world could you lead someone else, your wife, your kids? How can you lead them to someone you don't know? You can't. Look, this is massively important. I know, again, I know we're talking about women next week, but I gotta say this while we're here, talking about men are created to follow God's plan. Women, and I know we have a lot of single men, single women that are a part of our church. I love that. And I had a friend of mine who just reminded me in such a really awesome way that, women, this is a very important thing to look for when you are looking to date a guy. Is, is he submitting to God's plan or is he after his own glory, right? His own glory or God's glory, his own plan or God's plan. The way um, my buddy Julius, uh, who is a, a church planter that um, we actually support down in South Africa, the way he said it, um, a group of uh, people were around him that said, what should— what should a girl look for? And he said, well, if his abs are fantastic, but his Bible is still in plastic, leave him alone. I <laughs> thought that was a pretty good summary of that right there, right? He say it a lot better than I can. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. All right, this is cool. So what we expect next is for the woman to show up. But then we get a couple of verses. Watch this. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man and he slept. God took one of his ribs and close the flesh at that place. Um, shout out to our Mercy Kids ministry. You guys have been on it. Um, I'm in the car with my five-year-old the other day. They went through this story just a couple of weeks ago. I'm in the car with my five-year-old. We dropped off the three big kids at school. We're driving home, and we're playing the noun game, which is like, guess what place I'm thinking of, but that wasn't working out well, because she was like, I was like, is it in North Carolina? She said, no, the United States, no. She goes, dad, it's Charlotte. And I was like, oh, gosh, so this game's not working out. So... <laughs> Then everything gets quiet for just a second, and then she goes, hey, Dad, why did God take a rib out of the guy? And I was like, "It's a great question. And she I was like, I've been studying that. She said, yeah. Did it hurt? I said, no, he was asleep. She said, did he wake up? I was like, no, God kept him asleep. Did he get a new one? Huh. Um, no, no, he didn't. And then she kind of leans forward and starts looking at my side. Like from her. And I was like, I got mine, babe. I got all 24 right here. So she goes, oh, that's weird. And that was the end of the, and then she's on to something else, right? Car ride theology, y'all. So good. So thank you, Mercy Kids, for introducing the story of God to, to our kids. Uh, but look what happens. God takes this. Rib out, closes the flesh over in verse 22. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. Man, listen, she's taken from him, made of the same stuff man is made of, which by the way, is how they're both made in the image of God. She and he are both made out of the the same thing. And then look at this, like the father of the bride, He brings the bride to her groom. 22 through 25, friends, it's showing you the first wedding. And the man said, this one at last. The uh, actual way to translate that Hebrew is, whoa. (laughs) No, I'm playing. Um, (laughs) Nice work, God. This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman for she was taken from man. It's the first recorded words of the human race at last. At last, because God had brought all these other animals, these creatures in front of him, and no helper, none like him. Literally, though, she comes along and he says she is like opposite. She's exactly like, yet opposite. So she will be called woman, Isha, because she was taken from man. He uses the word Ish. They complement each other. Now that the order is important, now that man has a job, Now that he is under God's authority following his plan, now he's ready for a wife. And she isn't taken from his head to rule over him. She isn't taken from his feet for him to stand on. She's taken from his side to be with him, for them to be companions, to be under his arm in intimate fellowship. And then Moses looking at this picture of what God has created. Now Moses, our author, provides a little commentary to the people of Israel that he's writing this to. Verse 24, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Listen, this is the next part in this aspect of manhood. Only got a couple more. Man is created to commit. Simple truth. You are created, men, to be one who gives himself fully to another. Now, obviously, Moses is commenting on marriage here. Uh, There's apparently a problem in Hebrew culture at the time with men trying to get married to women while they were still too attached to their mamas. I know that doesn't happen today. That was just back then. Moses says, as a boy, that's fine. You should be bonded to your parents. But when you get married, you have to bond to literally stick. The word is stick to your wife. Guys some free advice from a man who took years of marriage to learn this very hard, but very clear truth from God, this mandate from God. Your wife should never have to compete with your mom for your affection. And maybe, maybe you're gonna have to set your pride down and you're going to have to ask, maybe your question for the car ride home, one of the guys in the first service, uh, a buddy of mine, he came up to me, and he said, oh, I got to do this. He said, um, the application for maybe the car ride home is for you to ask your, your wife, do you feel like I prioritize my parents over you? And when she responds, you better not say anything. <laughs> so listen, don't argue, allow her to speak. And listen, marriage, though, y'all, marriage is just one place. A man, where a man commits himself. Throughout scripture, you see men of God committing themselves to God, to God's people, and to God's mission. Jonathan commits himself to David. John commits himself to Jesus. Jesus commits himself to us. The early church commits itself to one another, buying and selling anything so to be able to provide for anyone as they have need. The early church commits themselves to the advancement of the gospel, even when it meant their lives. Y'all, I've read the Bible several times and never once does God tell a man to keep his options open when it comes to God, his people, and his mission. Here's the last thing as it relates to this aspect of manhood before I tell you where we went wrong. It's that man is created to lead his family to know and follow God. Man is created to lead his family to know and follow God. That command about the tree God gave it to man before the woman came on the scene. It was his job to communicate that to her. The task to work and cultivate, it was his job to pass that along. Man was to introduce her to what it was like to know and follow God. That remains his duty today, to introduce his family to God. Do you know if the child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, there is a 3.5% chance that the rest of the household will become a Christian. If the mother is the first person to become a Christian, there is a 17% probability that the rest of the people in the household will become a Christian. If the father is the first one to become a Christian, there is a 93% probability that everyone else in the household will follow. We were created, men, created to know and follow God and lead others to meet, to introduce others. You get, Do you get the hype? Of that calling, the joy that you can get to have as you surrender yourself completely to God, you get to watch so many others, the people that you love the most, and then so many others come to know life from the one true God. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he starts talking about marriage, he adds a layer to this. It's beautiful super important layer especially for us who now Jesus has risen out of the grave and so we read Genesis 2 through the lens of what Jesus did and the apostle Paul does that in Ephesians 5 verse 25 it says husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave all of himself for her and then a couple of verses later he quotes our passage today he says for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And then he says this mystery, talking about marriage, which I appreciate saying marriage is a mystery because I ain't figured it out yet. And so now I got a little bit of a, okay, I'm never gonna figure it out. This mystery is profound. It's beyond fully comprehending this mystery called marriage. But I am saying that marriage is about Christ and the church. Paul saying, yes, men and women, you are image bearers. And marriage is a specific image It's to be about God's love for us. Men, you're to represent Christ in that image, which means you leave mom and dad, just like Christ left the father and came down for his bride, the church. And then you commit to your bride, just like Christ did. And you lead her to know God, just like Christ did. And you do that by sacrificing yourself for her, just like Christ did. That's why I say in weddings, many of whom I had the joy of, of doing your weddings that are sitting in here today. Men, you do wear a crown, but it is a crown of thorns. It is a crown that is calling you to intentional self-sacrificing leadership. That's what God calls men to. And listen, when we follow that roadmap, we're an image bearer. What great value he has given over us. And he's given us that and he's called us to cultivate his creation so that it would be a blessing to others around us. Y'all, we will flourish as men. And the others around us will flourish as well. And you'll see what we see at the end of the passage, uh, verse 25 of Genesis 2. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. That's marriage. Completely exposed and completely approved of, fully known by one another, and fully loved and embraced. Now that's the picture, what we're created for. Why aren't we this way? I'm gonna give you a little sneak peek into Genesis chapter 3. We'll spend a lot of time there in a couple of weeks, but it's where everything goes wrong. There's this serpent, the most cunning of all the animals. He comes in and says to Adam's wife, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? It's the first verse in Genesis 3. He's setting her up. Notice how he twists God's words. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree? And she goes, no, he didn't say not any tree. He just says that one over there. If we eat from that one, then we'll die. And the serpent says in verse four, no, no, you'll not die. In fact, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. So the woman is deceived and she eats, read verse six. She took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, talking about guys this week, to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The guy was right there. It was going to be a big deal in a second. Next thing they hear, God's walking through the garden. It seems like it must've been a regular thing, taking an evening walk with God. They knew the sound and at the sound of God walking through the garden, they ran and they hid. So God called to the man and he says, where are you? And by the way, this is not God trying to condemn man. God knows what has happened. God's trying to call him back to himself. And it's what he's doing with some of you today. Where are you, son? I know where you are, but I want you to see where you are. And Adam says, I'm hiding because I'm naked. And God says, verse 11, well, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Oh, goodness, the man's reply in verse 12. Well, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. Listen, this is, Well, seen in Genesis three is the record of the first sin. And it's important because it's the doorway through which sin enters the world. And just like God promised, when they ate from that tree, it would bring death. And not only did it bring death to them, physical death, they would now die. It also brought more than that. It brought a corruption of everything in the world, of the way things were supposed to be. So relationships now are not the way they're supposed to be. There's this distance that you saw between Adam and Eve hiding that was not there before. Listen, I want to show you how sin, how sin reconditioned us away from this created identity. And I think it resonates with you. God created man to glorify him. Sin conditions him to reject God. Adam rejected God, chose his own way, and it led to destruction for his family. God created man with responsibilities. Sin conditions him. Sin conditions you men to pass the buck. When God holds Adam responsible, he blame shifts. He literally blames everyone else in the universe for his sin. Do you catch that? It's still a problem for men today. We are so afraid of failure and we refuse to own anything. We blame shift. We'll blame shift, especially our own sin, right? Gods will come to me and they'll start with this line. Well, I fell into porn again. As if porn is a covered pit that you didn't see as you were walking along. No, you went looking for it. Your sin has to be your sin. You don't fall into sin. You choose sin. You can't, listen, you can't understand the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ until you own your sin. Because Christ didn't just die for other people's sins. He died for your sins. There is an account for your sins and Christ's blood washes your sins clean and gives you a new record. But you will only ever understand the grace of God when you own your sin as your sin. But sin has conditioned you to run away from that. In your pride, you don't wanna be known as someone who has sin. God created man to follow God's plan. Sin conditions him to reject God's plan. The great lie of the serpent, has God really said? He questioned God's authority, and then he rejected it. And in that moment, Adam thought he knew better than God about what he needed for his life. And that's our giant blind spot. Men, we do not know better than God. And I know you would nod your head in agreement with that, but what does it look like played out in your everyday life? God created man for courageous commitment. Sin conditions him to fear failure. We were meant to be brothers, friends, husbands, fathers who commit ourselves to God, God's people, and God's mission. Fellas, we got to stop keeping our options open and commit to the glory of God with our lives. The number, yeah, I could go into any number of scenes. One that is just in particular that I've seen a lot of is the the Christian dating scene. The number one problem in the Christian dating scene is the absence of courage. Men who don't have the courage to ask a girl out. And so your sisters in Christ don't know what to think. And then you hear, And with all the the counseling and the mentoring stuff that we do, what we hear is, well, at least the non-Christian guys have the courage to ask me out. Brothers, you have everything you need in the love of Christ for you, so you can be courageous. And if she turns you down, at least she will still respect you. God created man to lead his wife to know and follow God, but sin conditions him to ignore God. Sin doesn't want God's words in our minds and hearts. That's what happened with Adam. It's what happens with us. We ignore his word, right? We are created to lead our families. And many Christian men say, I just don't know how to do that. Or I, you know, I'm just, I'm not, I know I should read God's word, but I'm not a reader. Yet you can tell me the shooting percentage of the Hornets backup point guard. You're a reader. It's just that you don't want him telling you what to do. That's the mindset of sin, is. you get what I'm saying? If your defenses are going up right now, that's what sin wants you to do, to defend yourself and your own little kingdom. You know better than God. That's pride. And I promise your pride will blind you until it kills you. You can't lead your wife and your family to know a God you don't know. I know that's tough to hear y'all, but I promised you today is not a beat down. I, I promise you, according to up as you tell you where I've fallen short in all five of those aspects of manhood. So where do we get the strength? to be the men God has called us to be, from the second Adam. This is Romans 5. So then, as through one trespass, Adam's sin, eating the fruit, there's condemnation for everyone. So also, through one righteous act, Christ getting up on the cross, on our behalf, shedding his blood so our blood didn't have to be spilled, there's justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience, Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Sin corrupted the world and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So also through one man's obedience, Christ obeying the will of the father, even when it meant his own death, through one man's obedience, we will all be made righteous. When we were dead because of our sin, Christ came in and made us alive. He was the man who gave up the glory of heaven to come rescue us. He accepted the responsibility God put on him when it cost him his life. He not only knew God's plan, he was God's plan. The very word itself. He committed himself to his people, his whole self. He held nothing back. He didn't look around for better options. He committed 100% to a bunch of messed up sinners. He led his bride, the church, back to God. And he still leads it today. Men, your manhood map in a word, it's Christ. It's Christ. But listen to me, he's not just your example because you might be afraid that you can't live up to that example. He's not just your example. He is the source of your strength to live as you're created to live. We come back to this core truth so much. It's becoming a motto around here and I'm very grateful for it. 2 Corinthians 12, nine, my grace is sufficient for you for my power in you is perfected in your weakness. Therefore Paul says, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power might reside in me. Men, your weakness, your recognition that you on your own cannot live up to who you were created to be, your weakness that's your greatest strength. Listen, your only hope in manhood is not standing strong. It's kneeling at the foot of the cross. I know this is counterintuitive, but when you stop trusting in your own strength, when you admit your sin, admit your weakness, admit you can't do it, that's where you can find the strength and the power of Christ to guide you. The courage of Christ to face down the fear of failure, the compassion of Christ to commit to God's people and to serve and bless the lost and dying world around you. And, Brothers, when we give ourselves to that, families change, churches change, communities change, cities change. The world starts to change as they see the love of God on display through us. It is a good calling far beyond what you or I could do on our own. And Christ promises his strength when we profess our weakness. Three steps out of today, guys. We'll wrap this thing up. You must believe the gospel. You are lost and hopeless without it. Without it, you don't have the promise of heaven. You have no way out of your sin. You have no ability, no strength. You might be trying to stand strong. Maybe you've made a good name for yourself. It will all perish one day. Your only hope to be the man that you were created to be is trusting that Christ has done the work of justifying you. You don't need to do that work. Christ has done it. And define your identity and value and what God says over, over you through Christ, now you are son, come back home. Secondly, you need to devour the word of God. I mean, devour it. Get to know the Christ who redeemed you. Get to know the God that created you. You'll never lead others to a God you don't know. There are so many rich promises. Romans, look, the end of Romans 7 is like, this is manhood 101. Paul says, that which I wanna do, I can't do. I don't seem to do that, but that which I don't want to do, I keep doing that, right? I keep messing up. My brain's a pretzel. My emotions are a pretzel. I don't know what to do with it. And he says, who's going to help me, oh, wretched man that I am. Thanks be to God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Romans 8, 1 says, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You need to grab hold of that promise as you seek to live as God has created you to. That's in the word of God. Lastly, get in community with other men. You need other men to show you what manhood looks like. Don't assume, especially if you didn't grow up. Uh, Maybe you don't have a dad who's a Christian. That's very common. Maybe you have a dad who was kind of a Christian in name, but not in the way that he devoured God's word, right? And believed the gospel. Get in community with other men around here. This whole sermon is not a ad for men's retreat, but good grief. Maybe that's a place to start, right? You need brothers in arms who remind you that God loves you. Here's how we're gonna close. Fellas, I want you to stand up. I recognize I'm a little bit past time. Just the guys, I want you to physically stand on your feet. If you are male, boys, stand up. Men, I want to speak to you, Joshua 1 9. I want you to hear it, where Joshua is getting ready to go into the promised land. He was the guy replacing Moses as the leader of Israel. The responsibility was huge, there was no way he was going to have the ability on his own to do it, the Lord sensed the fear that was rising up within him. And so God looks at Joshua and he says, have I not commanded you? Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not fear, do not be dismayed. Why? Because the Lord your God is with you. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Men, that same hope is true for us right now. With this calling that he has given you, that might seem too big, not only do you have everything you need in Christ and the strength to carry out this calling in Christ, but God is with you in it. So I wanna close, and I want you to repeat a couple of things because I think a couple of truths that by you saying them out loud, maybe you'll start to grab hold of these promises. So you repeat after me the words of me on the screen. Just four truths that we're going to say. The first one is I am a son of God. You repeat it. I am a son of God. Here's the second one. He is with me. me. So I I will not be ruled by fear. I will walk in the hope and love of Christ. Let me pray for you, brothers. God in heaven, I pray that you would make us men who, who open our hearts, that that doesn't scare us, that that's something to say. We, we open our hearts to your love for us. We rest in that love, abide, make our home in that love. God, would we find that before we find it to be true that before you ever tell us what to do, you tell us who we are. And we are sons brought back home through Christ. God, I pray for these men, young and old, that they would have the courage that comes from knowing you walk with them. The courage to know that you are guiding their steps, that they have no power on their own, but great power to work for the glory of God through Christ who strengthens them. Help us, Father, I pray. I pray in the mighty name of the risen Christ, the mighty name of the second Adam, the mighty name of the one that sets us free from sin, the mighty name of the one that redeems us and brings us back to our Father. In the name of Christ, we pray it. Amen.